Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Bridget Wheeler, the Programming Director at Atlanta Film Society. You might know me from um, my years of experience, my years at Indie Memphis. I was there for about 13, 14 years in various roles, from shorts programmer to senior programmer. Um, you also might know me from wearing onesies out in public uh, without any shame at all with combat boots. And um, what I'm working on currently is integrating, um, I've just hired a uh, 13 contract programmers, film programmers, and an additional six to eight screenplay programmers as well. So that's what I'm working on right now. And I'm very excited to see how that translates uh, for this year's film festival slate. Bridget Wheeler, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to speak with you today. I'm excited too. You're just a fun person. I've been looking forward to this conversation a long time. There are like all of these people that uh, we know commonly that are like sort of swirling around me and you. Yeah. And we just happen to have not connected up until this point, like from Jason Padgett to, to Miriam yeah. Bell and, and not yeah. Shelton. And so all these people around us that know you, but, but now we get to know each other and, I've just heard amazing things about you. And, and so far uh, I think I'm not going to be, uh, let down. Uh, I do want to give the audience no pressure, no pressure, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, if if you know if if you come off bad, it's probably on me, not on you. Yeah, we'll totally blame it on you. Got it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want I want to give this audience a, a deeper sense of who you are and where you're coming from. So we're going to read a little bit from a bio. As I okay. always say, this is the internet. So if anything's sure. incorrect, you can just correct me and say, "Hey, that's not accurate anymore." Uh, Bridget Willer is or has been in the indie film world, specifically the film festival world, for most of her adult life, having run the gamut from shift volunteer to the Queen Bee, a fabulous <laughs> nickname earned in her early festival career. She recently served as the senior programmer for Indie Memphis, where she has called home for close to 14 years. Outside of the festival, you'll most likely find her mentoring guiding and encouraging the filmmakers in Memphis, Tennessee. She attributes this as her main source of drive and inspiration, both personally and professionally. Bridget has served on countless juries at festivals across the country, including the Atlanta Film Festival, where she is now, and considers each experience an honor as it allows her the opportunity to support the current and next generation storytellers. She also has years of management experience and uh, has also been active in volunteering, including the Sidewalk Shout LGBTQ Film Festival, Queering the Cinema, and Alliance for Action. She has a bachelor's in film from the University of Alabama. And Roll Tide. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm curious, you, you grew up, uh, in a really small town in Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. Like you grew up you in, did. 
in, I uh, believe, Hudson, Ohio. That's correct. How did you get down to the University of Alabama? <laughs> That's, um, yeah, that confuses people a lot. Um, so, yeah, so I was born in D.C., and we moved to Ohio uh, when I was like three or four. And that's, I was there all the way through God, what, my freshman year of high school. So um, at that point, my dad um, got a job in Alabama, in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm. Um, so obviously it was very traumatic at uh, already being one year into high school with kids that I grew up with. <laughs> to move to Alabama. Um, where is Alabama on a map at that point? I did not know. Um, probably speaks to education. I'm not really sure, but so we moved to Alabama, um, Madison, Alabama, and I finished high school there. And so, um, in-state tuition, you can't like college is expensive y'all. So I ended up at the university of Alabama and I fell in love with football because of it. I'm a huge huge football fan now. So thank you for my capstone education. Um, and then after I, um, yeah. And then I just, I finished uh, high school there and then I went to Alabama and then I'm sure we'll get to the next part, but then, then I moved to Birmingham and because of all of that, it's really funny as traumatic as it was to move to the South from growing up in like, you know, just like middle America. Right. Um, I knew I was like, I would never, I would never go any more North, um, again. Really? Yeah, no, absolutely not. Mm -mm. I am. I can now, I know that I'm not like, I, I was not born and raised a Southern girl, but I'm very much a, I'm a Southern girl. That's yes. good. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Did, did your dad like change jobs a lot? You, did he move around? Does he move around the country pretty <laughs> No, um, this just like, so he was in, um, he was, he was in metals. So like he worked for like, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if this is going to ring a bell for him, but like a company's like Alcoa was like, yeah. you know, uh, aluminum and then aluminum, Wolverine, yeah. he was in copper. So, um, there was a certain point where he was, he was with that company. He was at Alcoa for so long. And like, I guess things change, you know, things change as they do in all industries. Right. And so right, right. he just kind of shifted around and we, um, that's what ultimately led us to relocate in the deep South at the time I thought was the deep South. Right. So I think it might be, uh, but Huntsville's <laughs> Hunt, Huntsville's very, uh, there's a lot of really brilliant people in Huntsville <laughs> because of the space program and, and, uh, and absolutely things, uh, there I'm curious, is there a moment in that process? Maybe it was in Ohio, maybe it was in Alabama after the move, but you know, is there a moment that you can remember that you knew you wanted to live a life in film? So yes and no. So it's like, you know, obviously when I reflect back, I can pinpoint it far sooner. So for me, it's like I, for a long time, I always pinpointed it to, um, cause I was really involved in theater in high school. Okay. I loved theater. And for anybody who knows me, that totally tracks. Like I am always, my personality is one that's it's always big and I'm I don't have any shame and I'm just, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly performing, but I'm performing as myself, right? Uh, it's not performative, but that's just my personality. That's how I show up. And so theater was a great outlet. So I always thought I wanted to do that. Right. Um, like, my parents were like, like stage performance, stage performance. Right. My parents are like, <laughs> that's cute. So no, you're not going to go to school and study <laughs> that because that's not going to get you anywhere. You're going to be waiting tables the rest of your life. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, crushing my hopes and dreams. No, no offense um, to all the waitresses listening. No, no. Look, I 
I am, I love waiting tables. I'm like, it's, I have gone back many times throughout my adult life to wait tables. And because again, this personality, man, waiting tables, it's hard, but like, man, when you're good at it, you're good at it. Shout out to all the industry people. It's true. I've always um, said that every person should wait tables. Yeah. Don't care what industry life. you're in. Wait a fucking table. Exactly. Wait a table because it, it teaches mm-hmm. you something really interesting about service. And it Serving teaches someone you, else. It teaches you about yourself. Yeah. Quite sure. A Anyway, so, so yeah, <laughs> so I always thought that in my freshman year, um, I watched Memento for the first time yes. and that just like the, the storytelling, like that just like, like suddenly everything, like my mind is opened to like, oh my gosh, I, it's like, I knew it before, but I was like so acutely aware of like the potential, like how much was out there in terms of storytelling and it's okay. Like to me, it was like for what, like storytelling, I want to be in this, I want to act, right. I want to tell stories. Right. Um, I was looking at it very kind of like black and white and very like kind of like one dimensionally. Right. It's like not thinking outside of like, what could this possibly mean? Um, and so it was after seeing that film that I marched into my counselor's office the next day and declared film as my major. I was like, I'm going, I don't know what I want to do in film. No idea, but I want to, I want to, I want to do this. Like the end, like I understand, like you understand, like you watch a film, it's like, there's so much that went into that. Like what you see, like what the audience sees, like all the stuff happening behind yeah. it. Like that's the kind of story to like figuring that out. Like I'll find my way from there, but making that decision. But then when you think like now it's like when I'm 37 years old and I think back, and, you know, I always tell part of my story, like, they're like, you know, when did you know that you were gay? Like, when did you know? So it was the earliest. I was like, well, my favorite films grown. Like my, literally my favorite film at like, I don't know, five. I was like, Beaches and fried green tomatoes. Like I really like yeah. <laughs> it's very specific. Okay. The strong female dynamics. Like, oh god, I really loved it. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yes, I knew that young, like that's what I was gay. But it's like I'm separating that's like, but that's also part of my story and how where my love of film is like watching those films when I was little. I was like, yes, both can be true. They're both very much a part of shaping and molding me. So it's like just something that's always been there, right? Um, obviously my taste has evolved to outside expanded from just very specific, yeah, yeah, yeah. very specific content. But, um, yeah. What was it about Memento? Oh God, it's that, that nonlinear, like just it, it, the fact that like, it's like, just like following these different, like from the black and white to the color and these two very, like how the story is unfolding in these opposite ways and very different ways. And it like just that possibility of the way that you, you don't have to tell a story from chapter one through chapter 10 in order like that, that is a way to tell a story, right? That is like, <laughs> but mm-hmm. then there's so many other ways in which you can present a story. Um, and it's so exciting like taking the same story and telling it differently. Right. And, you know, you know I know we'll dive into this at some point, right. um, but I just love that it really brought into focus just like the endless possibilities of creativity and storytelling that's out there. And that's what is so exciting. Like, like at the, just kind of at the core and I got that foundation of the excitement that I get by, you know, the ways in which people can tell their stories. Um, it's just fascinating. And I just, I'm just that that's like at the core of my passion. So. 
love that. Um, you mentioned your parents a little concerned. Whenever someone is trying to pursue a dream that is mm-hmm. sort of unconventional, uh, it can be, it can create some friction and some rift, not just mm-hmm. with your immediate family, but in your relationships, your love life, your work life. Um, <laughs> yep. Can you talk to us a little bit about the sort of relationship dynamics that exist while trying to pursue a dream or work in entertainment and maybe even how you handle it or words of wisdom for, for those that are going through that now? Ooh, it's loaded um, and layered. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I mean, that's like, it's such a good question such a big one. And I don't know that I've, and I'm like, oh, I've learned that lesson, right? I think I continuously, I think it, it's something that I'm going to continuously be reevaluating in my life as, you know, relationships come and go or get broken and mended. Um, I think this is a really specifically with an independent film festival world. Like it's a very, as a film festival organizer, as part of the film festival organizing world, Yeah, it is really tough to exist in. Um, and for so many reasons, right? But also stay in. Um, and I have hurt a number of relationships by the choices I've made in order to do this work. And that's my own fault, right. To stay in it. Right. And some of them end up being good. And some of them, you know, perhaps I would have done a different, they would have chosen differently, you know, in hindsight, but I think ultimately what it comes down to, I think the most reflection I can have on that. And I continue to be reminded of it is, be really intentional about choosing your tribe. Mm. And like, it's like that immediate circle, like your tribe, that immediate, those, that, that first line of defense around you. Um, Because it's, they're not going to be the ones that are going to allow you to continue to make poor choices. Right. Because we all like when you have, when you have something you're so passionate about, like, you're just so thirsty and driven to like, just stay in it and do it. And, you know, that can get into the personal professional balance, that personal life, professional life balance, which for a long time, I had absolutely none of. And I almost wore that as like a badge of honor, like sense of pride. Like, it's not cool. Like, that's not a cool thing. Like, it's not cool to not have balance. And I've only actually really understood that in the past few years. Right. Um, like I am not, I'm not, they're not, there's not, not, not my work and what I do and my passion for it is not the only thing to know about me. Um, and it shouldn't be the only thing that I'm putting out there. Right. So I think it's like really choosing your people wisely and always, and don't let yourself kind of like, on the like don't always like, don't let yourself get too hard or too jaded. Like yeah. Make sure you always have like, keep, keep your hand on something to keep you grounded that like, this is why I'm like, this is, I love this about it because it's so easy. And I think this goes for any industry, but really like, but we're talking about this one, right. Um, It is really easy to get overwhelmed and distracted with all of the negative stuff that also goes along with this work um, and in this industry. And I think we've seen that like really specifically with, you know, the strike and things like the way the working conditions and eh, there's so much out there to be really concerned about. Um, 
But I think just always reminding yourself why you're doing the work and knowing that you're doing it for the right reasons. Right. So, yeah, I, it's so good. And I, I thank you for that answer too. I know it was kind of a, um, maybe even unintentionally broad question, but the quote I always come back to, and I just keep coming back to is this, this Richard Feynman quote that says, we must not fool ourselves and we are the easiest ones to fool. So I just always come back to that and say, am I, am I fooling myself about my current reality mm-hmm. as a means to give myself an excuse to continue some action, some behavior, some whatever, oh. because it's, because I can, I can delude myself mm-hmm. and make it real. The best person, the easiest person to, that I can lie to is my, is me. Is Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is a great segue into my next question because you did something pretty cool uh, earlier this year, I believe. Uh, and I was curious, how, how are you doing with your promise to overcome imposter syndrome? <laughs> right off, man. <laughs> so... I love and hate that you brought this up. Um, oh man. Well, it's one of those so, questions that touched so close to home. I had to ask. It's so it's interesting because it's so, it's so it's like it, it ebbs and flows. Like it's just, there are days where you're just like, I got this and I can keep it at bay. Cause it's always there. It's always right under the surface. It never, ever, ever goes away ever. Um, and I have obviously, I've obviously learned over the years how to do certain things, certain practices. Right. Um, and I think that like, it kind of goes back to kind of what I was saying in, you know, in the last question of like, you know, choosing, being really intentional about choosing your tribe. Um, and so I have, uh, one of my closest friends, and I, you know, I've just had two different, like right before we got on, I just had a phone date with, with two people in my tribe. And right before that, um, another person in my tribe. So, um, and what was consistent in both calls. And it's like, again, what I needed going into tonight, talking to you, I'm like, why does he want to talk to me? Like, I know I've seen the people he's spoken to. Like, I, like I'm well aware. Right. I'm going, what? And I'm also in the midst of like, I have gone from dedicating, you know, a large portion of my career thus far to one organization and one community that, you know, it, the city, like that city and festival raised me. And here I am really fresh in a new, in a new home, um, (laughs) literally figuratively, uh, new community, new coworkers. And then this position, like I just hired 13 programmers, film programmers, right? And I have hired X amount of screenplay programmers. And you, it all, it's all gone so fast. And it's like, suddenly I was sitting here the other day, now that I've officially moved here, I am here in my sister's house, sister and brother-in-law, they're kind enough to, they're like, we know we want you here. And he said, nephew are here. Like, take your time finding the apartment. We just want you here and really get comfortable with your job because like you were meant for this role. Right. And you're like, no, yeah, yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, yeah, thanks. And then you're sitting here going like, holy shit, I'm in this role. <laughs> like, oh my, this is like, yeah. someone thought it was a good idea to hire me, 
right? Yeah. Um, and I realize I'm, man, I think it's just us talking right now, but people are going to listen to this and hear me say this, but I want to be really real. Like there are days where it is, it's easy to get overwhelmed with the responsibility that you have. It's not the responsibilities like tasks. It's the responsibility of like, there are filmmakers, there are people, there are storytellers that, that so desperately deserve and need and should have their, their voices heard, their stories told and showcased. And there's so many other <coughs> storytellers <coughs> that are looking, that's just looking for one programmer to say yes. Right. And validate that like, yes, that's it. That like the weight of that and the responsibility of that is not about me because what I'm doing, it's about the storytellers. Right. And I am very privileged and very lucky that like I've worked so hard that it's meant something that like there are big filmmakers believe that I can support them. And I don't take that lightly. And the thought of like, we talk about this as a programming staff in Atlanta Film Society that like, it's literally my biggest fear that I will be the last person that a filmmaker will speak to right before their decision to choose not to tell their story. Mm-hmm. If I don't, if I do not navigate that interaction with care, intentionality, and I show up for the right reasons and give them what I can give them within, you know, obviously within my experience and my knowledge, um, that's a really big, if you think, but if you get stuck there too long, it's like, who said I could do that? Like, oh my God, like, that's like, who gave me this responsibility? Yeah. Um, but they're like, you know, it's like, it's all of that. It's like, I just so desperately, like the fact that like the trust that I, that people will show me and have shown me like each and every time it's like a moment of like, okay. Okay. You can kind of put the imposter saying like, maybe it was helpful. And like, you're telling me it was helpful. Okay, great. I'm glad that I could be helpful. And, and I, it's an honor to be allowed to be a part of each filmmaker's experience, right? Because it's, it's up to them. Um, and I don't believe that like, I've got some sort of knowledge that no one has, or I'm some sort of like, I'm not some expert, but I do have experience that can be helped. I like, here's my experience. Do as you wish, right? Like do as you like pick through it, do what's best for you, but you want information from me. I'm going to give you the information that I have. And I never want it to be in a way that's like, I'm just the subject matter expert. Right. But we're in this together. We cannot exist without one another. So yeah, I think it's like, it's a lot, but like, I, it's like that whole, I just never want to be the reason why someone doesn't tell their story. Right. Right. No. I, I just don't, the, the thought of that is really hard to grasp. Yeah. I, I, I think that um, I'm in this position too sometimes and I wonder where it crops up from. Like, wh- like what is the foundational root of imposter syndrome? Mm. And is it that I'm afraid that someone is going to ask me a question. I don't know the answer, mm-hmm. but based on something I've said in the past, it's unacceptable that I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And then I start mm-hmm. to get nervous. Like, Oh, wait a second. Yeah. And my personality is cause I'm just a, like a, a reader and just a researcher in general. Right. But my response to imposter syndrome is, 
oh God, I have to go work harder. I have to go read. I have to go. And, but sometimes that's like chasing your tail. Mm -hmm. And we got into this business by, by sort of foregoing film school and just putting money directly into the market and getting on set. Mm -hmm. And so there is this, this tug of war in my own heart, my own mind between what I can learn from a book really fast and dirty Mm-hmm. And I can learn from like just going out and breaking down a script with a writer fast and dirty at a coffee shop. Right. Like, like there's, there's what's hands on and there's like trivia night. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> like who right. was the cinematographer for X, Y, and like, Oh God. Um, I know. It's like, everyone's like Bridget. And I'm like, Oh, you don't know that. Don't, oh, you don't, don't know that. How could like, you not oh know God. that? I know, they're, film, they're don't you out. know like everything there is to know about film get your fucking judgment out of here god dang right so it gets hard so i guess the answer for you is is it's a work in progress for you to always to overcome always. your imposter syndrome and honestly like i'll be honest with you like if if you get to a point and and i like i just believe this to be true it's not like an absolute necessarily and i think it's more complicated than how i'm just like i'm not i'm not trying to oversimplify it but i think that like if you've noticed that it's been like a year since you've like had any, had a moment of like, Oh God, can I do this? Or questioning your ability. Like, I feel like you should dig a little deeper, you know, I I just, I I just dig a little deeper because I feel like at a certain point you can run into that, that, that level of arrogance. Like I have nothing left to learn. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really, it's all like, to me, it's like, I, constantly like reiterating to people to filmmakers to my step to my programmers like just because i'm in this position right that comes with a lot of assumptions about me right and my knowledge or my like what i bring to the table okay it's like it's just like you always have to know like in any situation no matter how much further like how much like 10 years down the road 15 20 like another 30 under your belt of experience you should never be in a position where you have nothing left to learn yeah yeah Cause then you count on extremes to get you excited mm-hmm. um, and you don't, that, that's a, that can be a crazy road. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Atlanta film society a few times. What's the experience been like? I know it's, is, are we like two months in one month in what's this been like? For oh, How are they? Oh, uh, first of all, what an incredible, incredible team. I mean, already my family now granted, I have known Chris Escobar, for a long, long time, personally, professionally. He is someone I have long admired, again, both as a friend and whom he is like in this industry and as, you know, a colleague. Um, so to work for him already is like, holy cow. Um, and the staff, like, and I've known, and I've known some of the people on staff um, just from because, you know, being in the Southern Regional Film Festival circuit, you just know each other, right? And sometimes you meet each other, whether it's Art, Art House Convergence or, you know, other festivals, because we all go to each other's festivals or whatnot. Um, and then those who I don't, like, I still have not met my programming team in person yet. Wow. I will on Tuesday night. And I'm okay. so excited. Yeah. Because uh, I'm freshly here. Um, so I just, I got to say, like, I was so anxious to make the transition change is hard um even though like it's something we all accept about this industry it's like you have like the one guarantee the one absolute is change yeah and um but having been in a, like, a, like a very specific community for as long as i have 
of filmmakers uplifting me and me uplifting them and being a part of this institution within a city that I, I, Memphis will never not have my heart. They have my, I love that city. I can't, I don't have the words to actually articulate it. I just love it. Um, that coming into this, like I, I just felt from the jump on day one, it's hard when you have a new leader, right? Mm-hmm. Coming to a well-established, well-oiled programming staff. And the previous programming director, Alyssa Armand, is someone I've known for years who I deeply respect and admire. And I have been in awe of watching her career in, at, at, in Atlanta. I've been a fan. I've been a supporter. So it was like, oh my God, like I have to fill Alyssa's shoes. Yeah, yeah. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, what? No pressure. Um, but the way that the staff on day one, we had a meeting at the end of that Monday. It was the first time they were meeting me. And within the first five minutes, I'm like, these are my people. <laughs> yeah. Like, these are my people. And it's like, I don't know what it was specifically. It was an energy. And like, to be able to have that connection and via Zoom, like we all know that level of like, we're feeling disconnected because everything's virtual, yada, yada. Right. I didn't feel that. And that from day one, that validation was like, that was all I needed to know that like, I made, I made the right, it was a hard choice and it was a complicated choice, but it was absolutely the right choice. Yeah. Um, Energy is a, is a funny thing. We know very little about it and a lot about it, but we don't, in, in some ways, but very little about uh, how human energy interacts and how it's possible through the web, through the internet, mm-hmm. through a Zoom call. And my theory, this is like pseudo theory, is that everyone talks with a particular tone. And we know from music that a tone is a vibration and mm-hmm. a speed. Yeah. So we catch that even through a Zoom mm-hmm. call. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, that person is vibrating at a plane that's complementary to mine. Yes. And when we and I have them, had experiences with colleagues where we were never in the same vibration, right? Yeah. yeah. And I will say, like, again, we'll put this inward. I know how I show up. Mm-hmm. I know my energy. I also know I am not for everybody. <laughs> okay. And I also know that to be okay. Right. That's the main thing. That is the one part of myself that now it's, and then that's just been like probably in the past like two years that I've really owned at 37. Like it is okay to be exactly who I am and that not everybody's going to like it. I'm okay. That, that was a hard, that was a hard thing to accept. Yeah. And so that, that I think is, that is one thing that I can really specifically point to with, with my programming staff um, at Atlanta Film Society is that I very much showed up as myself. Like, like, because I knew I was like, I get the opportunity to start over. I mean, obviously not, it's not a, it's a very public thing, right? <laughs> like right. people know that I, you know, I'm in this new job. People know, like the people that know me in my orbit and my, you know, whatever, like, it's not like it's, I'm going to reinvent myself per se, but I get an opportunity to show up how I want to show up and not allow any sort of vibrations that are not, you know, whether it's years prior or currently or whatever that was like, 
I get an opportunity. Like, this is why you said you hired me. Like, and you, like, this is why you're hiring me. So much of it is like how I present myself and how I'm, I'm very unapologetic. Uh, shout out Memphis and unapologetic. Yeah. Um, I, and that I have to own like, that is in large part, like that is a large part of what has made me successful and continues to make me successful is that I, I am who I am. There's no hidden agenda. There's no like what you see is what you get. And this is me all the time. And I'm not going to dim my light or turn down the volume for someone else. Yeah. I think only in the last decade have I sort of been that way where it was like, look, it's okay. Like if they didn't like me, they didn't like me. If they did, they did. Mm-hmm. I think before that I would leave social situations and then I'd turn to the person I might've known in that group and say, Hey, do you think they mm-hmm. liked me? Yeah. Do you think they'd like me to be fishing for likes, like fishing for acceptance. I, I yeah. did that my entire life, but in this mm-hmm. sort of subtle way that, that was, I guess, kind to myself where I wouldn't even know that I was really doing it, that, I, that that's what I was mm-hmm. doing. Like, right. hey, they hated me. Didn't they? I would say it like almost a joke. So I get, they hated me. Did they? No, they loved you. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. You know, but now it's like, I'm just, I don't think. Yeah. You can't, like, you can't allow. I think I ride in on the same horse now. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it is what it is. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? It's okay to be in a room with people yeah. and be like, like, I'm the type of person that's like, again, like, I have no poker face. Like, like literally, I, I, I do not I'm have writing a that note story. down so that if we go to Vegas together. What happened? No poker face. I also, I have no secrets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this can also be repurposed on things to therapy. I also, I'm working on boundaries because I've lived a majority of my life without any, um, you know, but there's also that me showing up this way too also does come with its complications and a huge, like the majority of the responsibility is on me that like, if I'm showing up with this energy, right. Yeah. I need to also be aware of the negative impact it could have as well. So there right. is that fine line, right? So it's not dimming yourself for someone, but also not using it as an excuse to explain away bad behavior or, you know, you know, not doing the work the way you should be doing it. Meaning like doing it like why, why we're all here, right? Like why we want to be, you know, I want to support filmmakers, I want to support storytellers. Like I can't use this energy and weaponize it, right? But I also can't allow other people to weaponize it against me either. So right. I love this thing where balance. you go, where you leave a meeting like, Hey, uh, you talk too much in that. I say, well, somebody had to, you guys are fucking boring. <laughs> Snooze fast. Okay. <laughs> somebody had to carry us. So you somebody had to, yeah, so thank you. <laughs> so I don't even like make an excuse for it anymore. It's like, okay, that's what yeah. I did. Um, and I've, I have, I have, this was the year too, that I've actually stopped apologizing for it as well. Boom. Boom. So that's, that's, that's huge. Like uh, I'm too, when I say I'm too much for some people, like I've got to work on that. I don't like that language either because I am not too much. Yeah. And I feel like storytellers should hear that too. Cause I hear, I've seen so many filmmakers, like they say that, like feel like it's too much. Like when you say it's too much, the story you're telling is yours. Therefore what you're saying, you're telling yourself that you are too much. This is your story. It's not too much. Yeah. I love that. That's very good wisdom. And I'm wondering if you're carrying some of that wisdom from Indy, Memphis, down to Atlanta with you. Um, what are your plans for this next festival in Atlanta? And and what are you carrying over from Memphis to that, if anything? Ooh. So, 
my plans for this festival, and this is going to sound like I'm just throwing it away. I'm really not. <laughs> Honestly, it's like it's all been so fast. And the point in time of our festival year when I was brought on, um, it doesn't allow just the circumstances, right? It does not allow me to really put like put the energy and time into like strategy and um investment within the team like what's our three to five year plan right it's literally been like laying the groundwork for what we want to do once we get through this festival right so what i'm what i'm doing from now through the festival is figuring out any and every way possible that i can support my programmers doing the work that they are best at right okay how can i how can i support them to like literally whatever it is like do you need an extra day off like it's like those it's more of like the um kind of like the really like kind of like the dry side of the job right the management side yeah um like this hopefully will be the last year i do this little um this little screening and programming right mm-hmm. um now granted I w- i'm doing a lot but when you think about the amount of submissions we have in the whole season it's like it's taken me until because i spent the first what six to eight weeks in interviews and meetings, I was averaging seven hours every day of the week. Wow. Which left no time for like, when am I going to watch a film? Like, when am I going to like, right? So it's like, instead of focusing on that part of it, it's like, okay, I need to focus on like maybe more of like the practical stuff, the operational, because this job is not just creative, right? Like being a programming director, it's, it is all of the hats, like it's management, it's operations, it's artistic, it's curation, it's, you know, it's people, it's people, right? Yeah. Um, it's so much more than just a festival slate that I'm like, you know what? I can step back from a lot of those, the artistic stuff. Like I don't have to watch a bunch of films right now to feel like a programming director. The smart thing to do and the best way I can support our filmmakers is by supporting my programmers doing what they do best. And that's watching the films and, you know, discussing because they had, you know, obviously they've been watching them since submissions open for this year from the jump. So I, it's not the prettiest answer, right? It's not the prettiest peek behind the curtain, but it's an honest one. Um, and I think come after we get through this festival, which again, I had the opportunity to hire 13 additional brilliant programmers from all over the US who have worked at various different festivals. Like these programmers, I mean, everybody should go to the Atlanta Film Society page and go to our news page and click on that. It's the top article right now. It's currently top article, second article, but reading the bio of each and every programmer that we hired, I mean, yeah, man. So impressive. So impressive. I mean, awesome. It's, so I know our festival slate is going to be amazing. Will you tell us the um, date again for the festival? Or tell yes. us. I don't think we ever said it, but yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's April 22nd through May 1st. Good, good, good. And let me oh. just, let me, let me just verify that. Really quickly, <laughs> well, well what, what we'll do is we'll put the dates in the show notes. And so okay, great. And hopefully we'll edit that part out where I'm like, yeah. hey, let me double check. Yeah, and, and we'll 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 link to it. Um I am I am curious though, is there 
this process of sort of stepping back and doing more delegation, more operation. I, I totally get that. It's my daily life. Uh, is that a programming advantage or is that a limitation? Is there, are there any limitations built into the Atlanta Film Society that you didn't have in Memphis? Honestly, I feel like, I feel like I, I have so much support and so much trust starting with the top, right. Starting with our executive director and Chris that like, I don't, I have yet to identify anything. That's like a real, like a real clear limitation to what I'm allowed to allowed, whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. what I can do in this role. Um, so I think the limitations are the ones that I put on myself or the ones that just circumstances do like, like I said, the timeline, right. You yeah. know, and when I got hired and then spending the first six to eight weeks, um, you know, hiring amazing, amazing, brilliant people to help us come to help us what to create what I know will be the, one of the best slates we've had in Atlanta film society history. And um, so, no, I think that like, this is a part of, being in this position and, and yes. just being a programmer, because even it's not just limited to programming directors, artistic directors, creative directors, you know, and sort of roles out there like that within our industry. I think it's because I've been a senior programmer and shorts programmer, you know, there was, there's so much admin stuff. There's a lot of operational stuff. It's not just as simple as watching a film and saying yes or no and deciding, is this good or bad? Right. Um, is that a part of it? Yeah, obviously. But it's like in order to make that decision, there's all this other stuff that affects that. Yeah. So, and I love that part of it because for Indie Memphis, I have always in my entire time there have been in operations like specifically operations right and for a long time i was short pro i was senior programmer and director of operations so i very much can shift back and forth between those between the parts of my brain like i can just just watch films and discuss and unpack and then also create the sexiest fucking spreadsheet you've ever seen to organize like 12 different venues uh, and you know, like, yeah, yeah it's all, it's, it, it's all about, it's all, all of that is still programming. At last year's Indie Memphis film festival, one of the panel discussions, uh, and you could tell me if you programmed for this or not, uh, was mm-hmm. a conversation about the role of intimacy coordinators on set. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've done over a hundred interviews on this podcast and we haven't talked much about an intimacy coordinator or what intimacy, intimacy coordinators do. Um, mm-hmm. what, what is the role of, uh, enemy at an intimacy? I can't speak coordinator. Um, and, and how has that been complicated, I guess, by the pandemic? So, I do not believe I am qualified to give a really solid answer to that. But what I, here's what I can offer instead about that. All right. Um, in, in regards to like me as the programmer, right. Mm-hmm. And how, whether or not a film set has, has hired or has utilized an intimacy coordinator. Yeah. So I believe one of the reasons that, inspired 
that panel, the choice to do that panel, I mean, many, many things, but I, there was one, there was a one film specifically. I mean, there was many films. Kayla and I very much had that conversation often and over and over again about films. Um, it's like, Oh, it felt like this felt inappropriate or this felt uncomfortable. And perhaps like we need to like, perhaps, because we did have this film a couple of years ago that, that we programmed um, that was about a very, that was about an assault on a film set that was happening while they were shooting wow. because it was, it was part of the script. Right. Okay. Okay. But the actor took it too far yeah. and the actress felt assaulted or didn't feel assaulted. She was assaulted. Let's be clear. She was assaulted. And, um, but the way that it was done was so subtle and so powerful. It's like, it was like the first time that I had seen a film like that, that really nailed like the, like the, many layers of of this big topic and like such a very specific and um really important really important way yeah um and so then again like i said this past the past year there was what became a regular part of me and kayla's dialogue when it comes to films that would whether they'd be relevant with that would be relevant to have an intimacy coordinator is the way that we would talk about these films is like that did like this film really could have benefited by it. May, it's, I feel like perhaps they did not have someone on set advising or guiding um, this intimate scene. Got and it. what's the impact of that, of giving a film like this a space? Mm. What does this do for trauma? Like re-traumatizing, triggering um, someone in the audience. Like that's the that's part of the like the responsibility as a programmer. Um, obviously, like you know, you can re-traumatize an audience, but to be able to truly understand what that means and the impact of making the right or wrong call. Um, and this is like a very specific example, like, and then I guess, and also in contrast, there was a film that like Kayla and I just were like, it is very clear that they were, they were responsible on set. There was somebody there guiding them through that scene because it was very hard. That scene could have been done incorrectly, <laughs> could not have been advised and it could have been seriously traumatic to watch it. Right. And not handling a very serious subject with the care that it absolutely needs. And this film was tough to watch, but again, what part of what made it so successful is that when we read more about the film, the filmmakers talked a lot about in their statement, the importance of hiring an intimacy coordinator to make sure the filmmaker was telling her own story. Yeah but it's still, you still have a responsibility with, you know, you still have that response. It's your story, but there's still a responsibility. Right. And so reading what the filmmaker was saying about the importance of intimacy coordinator and, and part of her way of dealing with her particular trauma and her specific experience and creating this film and being open about it is also introducing into that conversation and being very loud and outspoken about, it should, that should be a standard practice on film sets. And this needs to be a larger part of the conversation when we talk about 
trauma and we talk about these experiences it's like that power you wield as you know as as a filmmaker and yeah it's like understanding that you have mm-hmm. a great degree of power and how are you going to wield it yeah. and you know we we did a movie called adult interference which is a comedy but it has some intense scenes because our protagonist is an alcoholic. And I remember we screened it at NAF, uh, Nashville Film Festival, and it just did really great there. And one of the women ran out in the audience and, and left the theater in tears. And we, and the producers, me and my partner, Nick, we, we ran and chased her and said, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? What's like, what? she goes, it was just too real. Uh, yeah. It was it was it was a scene where our protagonist was being particularly physical and 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 uh, mm-hmm. you know yelling at a kid. Yeah. And so that woman had suffered through alcoholism herself, mm-hmm. and some of those comments that he made that were so insensitive and so incendiary were were sort of like, I guess things maybe she had experienced in her own life mm-hmm. or had done herself. So uh, sure, thank you for the explanation. That is. Mm-hmm. That brings it. I definitely think you home. should have an intimacy coordinator on this podcast. I'm telling you, like just speaking to various people in, in my past few years, like really specifically the past few years who do this work. Yeah. It again, it needs so much more attention. And, and I, and I think it, it is getting more attention. It has been, but like really like ongoing, um, the work they do is so important. So important. Right. And now, right now we'll, 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 we'll investigate. I will have some suggestions for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Send, hey, send them our way ASAP. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what are the two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and where did they come from? Fuck. <laughs> two best pieces of advice. Dude, man, hopefully you'll bleep me out, but oh, let's see here. Two best pieces of advice. So this is going to be like a little vague and hopefully it doesn't sound like subtweety. I promise it's not directed at like anything and like specifically, but I think that like being, being, um, you know, female LGBTQ in this industry, but also like, there's just so many, it's like, I think it's been relevant at, each leg of my journey in this career. And I think it will continue to be is that it's going to sound like, so like, hopefully it doesn't sound like a super white girl of me, but so like Glennon Doyle has this book called untamed. And I think, I think it should resonate. I think I can't imagine it not resonating. Like I can't, I don't, who's the person doesn't resonate with. Like it's said like there are universal truths in the book. One of the universal truths that hit me, like I, like I just got absolutely punched right in the face so there's early on in the book, there's this anecdote that like, she's telling this anecdote that like this woman did hot yoga and like, she came out and she was sick, like just like really sick, like throwing up. <clears throat> and because like, sometimes if you're not prepared, I'll, I'll be honest with you, having grown up a dancer and having to do basically like they'll put like in the ballet studio, they'll make it like a hundred degrees or whatever. Yeah, and they make yeah. you do point for like five hours and it's intense. It, it is, it can be dangerous. I mean, it's an hour of yoga, but you know, whatever here or there, like everybody's body responds different. So it's yeah. like this woman's like, you did hot yoga and she was super ill after doing it. And ultimately how it ends up is saying, she said something like, I like it's kind of like unpacking it. And she's like, why did I stay? The door wasn't even locked. Mm. 
And I think that will resonate. I think that will resonate with a lot of people in very different ways. And it has resonated with me in very different ways and contexts in my career. I mean, obviously very specifically in my personal life for anyone who knows me. Um, but, um, I think that that has been, I don't know what the specific lesson is other than just like reminding myself of that when relevant. Um, it's like, it just, yeah, it's like, does it spark joy? It's not quite like that, but you know, um, I think it's a good reminder. And I think other lessons, um, or advice, advice. Um, a friend said to me once, um, Molly Rose Quinn, who runs out Memphis in Memphis, Tennessee. She's amazing. That organization is also amazing. So, um, outmemphis.org. Um, well, she says to me to me one night, maybe this is not necessarily a lesson, but it's like, again, it's like another good thing to like constantly remind myself along the way. She said to me, she's like, your support and your enthusiasm is like literal gasoline. And she's like, it's like in the way that she had put it and hopefully I didn't totally butcher it, but like the way it's like, people have always told this about me because I, and I do know this to be true about me. I, if I'm a fan of yours, like I, I, I know how to champion people. Mm-hmm. Like I do, I'm good at that. I can, I can go overboard, but I, I get really excited and I have genuine enthusiasm for people and their work. And, and I know how to make, I know how to do that in a way that's genuine. I don't know. I don't know any other way. Right. And so that reminder to myself that like, I do have that power to influence and inspire. And I need to be very careful with that because I do always want it to, to translate the way, the way I know it to feel. Yeah. 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 You know? Um, but it is really important that it does always remain true. And so where it's like a compliment, I'm like, yeah, my, my support's like literal gas. But it like it did, like it was like very obviously very flattering and it is true, but it can also be negative if I am not always constantly aware of what I'm doing, how I'm doing it and who I'm doing it for, which should never be me. Right, because gasoline's so, a double-edged, double-edged sword. Gasoline, exactly. So maybe fuel that a is car the or right burn there. down a house. That yeah. is the lesson. The moment I'm doing this work and I'm making a decision in my best interest, I need to get out of this world. I, I need to. I need to go because it's not about me. Great segue again. You're just like you're. You're like a savant at <laughs> this. Because uh, <laughs> my next question is: If you had one piece of advice to give filmmakers, what would it be? One. Yeah. If you just had to pick one. Okay. I will. Okay. This I will say, cause it's been very relevant. I was just um, on a panel on Friday and we, we talked a lot about this. Um, it was a panel of, it was about programming. So I mean, fellow, my colleagues and my colleagues um, it was done by Coven film festival. <clears throat> and um, I will say this just even just like, and this is like the starting point and then I can go down that rabbit hole. But um, I think it's really important for filmmakers to remember 99.9% of the time when you receive a rejection letter, it's not actually about your film as to why they're saying no. Mm. It's so much more than that. 
So it's like, I feel like what I would say to filmmakers is to make sure you are taking each rejection in stride, whatever the rejection may be. It may not be just like a film festival. It could be whatever it is that where you feel is that whenever you're getting a no to have your story heard, seen, showcased, be really careful how you internalize it. Because <clears throat> then that goes back to the beginning when I was saying, like my biggest fear is that I'll be the last person that a filmmaker will interact with and their next decision they make is to choose not to tell their story. Right. Whew. So I want to be real, but it's like a give and take, right? It's not fully my responsibility. It can be, but it's also your responsibility as someone who needs to be your own champion. First and foremost, take each and every no in stride and only allow that to teach you what it needs to teach you. And do not make it like an overarching commentary on your ability or whether or not like the worth of your voice or the worth of your story. Because yeah. every like there's going to be a space for every story to be heard. Like you have the space, whatever your story is, there is a space in which someone is waiting to embrace you and your story and to showcase it and support it. So just remember that. And it can be hard. <laughs> and we are all very emotional in this industry. We are. We can be very sensitive. True. And that's okay. It's okay to be that. But be kind to yourself and know that like your story is worth being told and it is worth hearing. And there is a space, a festival, a venue in which aligns with it. Yeah. Not every no is a referendum on your talent. Right. Absolutely. Uh, what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making today? Newcoming filmmakers, the biggest mistakes? Yeah, both creatively and business. Or mm -hmm. you could do one or the other if you don't have. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like a couple, there's a lot of really obvious rookie mistakes, right? But I think it's like, uh, if you don't make them, like it's like your initiation, right. Of like yeah. coming, like being like a filmmaker, like you finally made your film. Like you are a filmmaker now, even if you just made one film, you are still a filmmaker. You made a film, right. People yeah. like to say, it's like, well, I've only made like two films. I'm like, so you're twice a filmmaker. Like get the fuck out of here. Do not tell me you're not quite a <laughs> filmmaker yet. Like you've made a film. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that like, I think some of the common mistakes that I see, Just because visually it's solid and it looks beautiful, just good vision, like technically proficient, technical proficiency does not equal quality of storytelling. Right, right. Um, and I, it's hard to articulate that because again, it's, it's, cannot, it's all so subjective, but just because your film looks really good it does not mean your story, the story is being told in a way that resonates or makes like, it's like you, those two, they have to be together. Right. And I will tell you this, I will always choose story over technical proficiency. Technical proficiency is usually the last thing I evaluate. Interesting. Yeah. It, it just, it, it just is. Cause to me, it's like, I have programmed work that I have had filmmakers or audience members being like, like, 
what are you trying to say here? Like, so, you know, bad sound is like, and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, no, no, no. Like you're missing it. Like you're, you're starting to now separate out the components and compartmentalize them here. What's here is an incredible storyteller that like what they need is the opportunity to have their work on the big screen so they can see themselves. Yeah, they they can reflect and be like, I could have shot that. I could have lit that better. That's not my responsibility. But that story there, the potential in this person, it's not always just about that film. It's about maybe the second film or the third film or their 10th film. Like right. there is so much promise there that like, again, it's like, well, it's like kind of common themes here. Like with the programmers, someone's just looking to say, yeah, like they just looking for someone to say yes. Right. Right. Or it's one of those things where they just need budget and executors. Exactly. And it's like part of our role is we say we're here to support filmmakers. Like it's not just, I'm, I'm just here to support the good ones. The ones that have been doing this a long time. Like, no, yeah. honestly, like I am here for the first time ones. Those are the filmmakers I want. Come here. I want to play your work. Yeah. You know, like being able to provide that, that's the hardest space to be in for a filmmaker. Right. Yeah. Like that first one or that second, like, how do you like, Again, everybody is just looking for someone to say yes. And that I have that responsibility. So it's like, come on. That's right. And I have this trick that I tell people about how to watch an independent film, especially like a true indie, mm-hmm. not like a pseudo indie that came from A24, <laughs> but like a true indie <laughs> is like, watch the movie. Small budget of five million. Yeah. <clears throat> watch the movie and then insert let's say widely known actors into the roles of the people you just saw and then imagine that in your mind's eye how it would have played out mm-hmm. and if you think there's a good movie there then you just saw a really good independent film yeah and that's Absolutely. how you do it because if you can picture that film playing to a larger audience having a bigger budget maybe getting some better performances mm-hmm. uh then you were like, oh, that actually was a great story. And how do you expect And if you put those people in and they don't, and the story doesn't jive, then you know you just saw a bad story. And that's okay too. But yeah. and it's so funny to me that there's an expectation. Like there's been this like ingrained expectations. And we've been trained to think that like you walk into a theater and what you expect to see are this, this like these, it's like this checklist, right? How do you, it's like redefining that. Like, we're, again, we're in a position to redefine it. Like, what does quality mean, right? Yeah. We get to constantly reevaluate that, or you should always be reevaluating. What does quality actually mean? What does a good story actually mean? Um, and it's not, <clears throat> to me, it's like, we're making, we're making a lot of incorrect assumptions and drawing lines that don't necessarily need to be drawn. Like, so it's reframing that, right? And it's like, how do you think like these like big filmmakers that we all know and see, like, you know, how do you think they got to the point where they're getting offered like 80 billion freaking dollars to make a fucking, <laughs> you know, another whatever movie, right? I'm not going to call right. it any movie specifically. I want to be very careful. Um, it's like, how do you think a filmmaker can just get there? I mean, there are very complicated and very obvious and problematic reasons why certain filmmakers have gotten to where they are and continue to get those opportunities. So these other filmmakers, right? Mm-hmm. 
the ones that again are look, just need someone to say yes like how do you think you get from there to there you don't just show up make your first film and it's like oh now all the money comes in right, right. or you don't get it seen no you're never going to make those connections part of our responsibility as programmers and curators is creating opportunities, experiences, environments, events, whatever, for those relationships <clears throat> to be made. Yeah. That networking, I hate, you know, the, the networking, duh. but those collaborations to foster an environment where those collaborations can happen. Yeah. To give a filmmaker an opportunity to put themselves in front of people who could be a future writer, who could be a future director, who could, you know, potentially, you know, fund some pre-production, like whatever, like you have to be able to create opportunities for these filmmakers to then take advantage of those opportunities and get to that point. Um, and it's up to them to take it all the way. But again, part of our job is to facilitate these opportunities. It's not just like, Oh, here's a good film. Here it is. Yeah. It's no, here's the filmmaker. Here's the film and the filmmakers. I'm going to just programming filming. I've said that 8,000 times so far, but it's when anytime I choose to program a film, I am programming the film and the filmmaker. Yeah. You can't just, you can't separate that. Don't separate it. Yeah. It's a whole package. Right. So. That's very good. You have been so generous mm -hmm. with your time, Brie. And <laughs> um, I only have a few more questions and we'll get you out of here. Sure. But uh, I wanted to ask you if you, if you didn't mind telling us about this open letter that you wrote to your dad and it was, really floored me. I was wondering if you would, you would describe it and share what that was all about. Oh my God. How did you find this? That's so funny. Did I, did I say what the, what it said? Yeah. I, uh, I very much remember. I, I wake oh up this, God. I wake up this AM feeling tired yet happy that I spent quality time with the middle child and baby girl plus Denny, JB and Nick this past weekend. I am also looking forward to spending time with E, Ronnie, Jack, Ronnie and Jack next week. Life is good. Do you remember what I'm talking about now? Yeah, I love it. Oh my god! I also, woke up to the to the continued realization that we have a dangerous fool in the White House that is dictating direction for our country that I can't accept. Oh my God, my dad is like gun hard in the van on this liberalism. It's so funny. Yeah. He used to be like, oh, I'm on, I just vote because I'm fiscally conservative. And then it's like my dad's like burning down everything to the ground. So funny. Oh my God. Yeah, he wrote yeah. letters sort of about, you know, him being a Vietnam vet and, oh God, um, yes. and he resents that this man speaks for his country. And he's just kind of talking about, um, him bringing you guys into the world. Um, they didn't bring you into the world to accept norms and to be prejudiced against those of color, uh, those of different religions, nor tell them who to love. Who to love. We raised you in a way that you would have the opportunity to grow into strong, independent, intelligent women. I thought it was a great letter. Yeah. I totally like. Yeah, I'm let me just like fucking marinate in my privilege for a minute. Like, I have the most supportive and loving parents. Ugh. It sounds like it. It's um, it's easy to it's easy to stop reminding yourself of that because it's just normal. That's my normal. 
Mm-hmm. That is very rare. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> shit, God, like, ooh, you're good. <laughs> you are like really good. Oh man. I, it's kind of what I'm thinking about right now and you like reminding me of my parents have been like really excellent examples of self-reflection um, and growth um, that it's okay and actually crucial to the human experience to not stay the same <laughs> And having very key moments of like check-ins with yourself and reflecting on the impact or experience on your experiences. And oh man, like phew. it's like I'm now, it's like it's also seeing too like I have really been set up for, and it's my responsibility to see this through right and, and and show up like this but like I very much understand in a way in this moment that I haven't quite been able to articulate that um I was given a framework to I was given a framework to be a responsible white woman doing this work. And there are very many layers of that go in the pros and the cons. I guess I don't want to oversimplify that, but for lack of a better way to say that, that without my parents, without having like in that situation, my dad very much modeling what it looks like to like, it's not about, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and constantly reflecting on what you put out into the world. And like, for him, like we are very, we are like a physical embodiment of what he's put out into the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And like how his responsibility in the way that he has raised us to be responsible humans And to see that behavior modeled, whether or not he's always gotten it right, he often does. And it's like, you're not going to do everything right and make all the right decisions or say all the right things. And it's not about that. What's, what it's about is like knowing when to step in, knowing when to step out, knowing when to stop talking and start listening what does support look like? And oftentimes support isn't actually doing something for someone other than shutting the fuck up and getting out of the way. Yeah. 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 And knowing I can, the best way I can support in very specific situations and general specific, whatever, like I am not going to be the right appropriate or whatever person to support that filmmaker and their experience because it is not mine. And knowing how to evaluate that and consistently evaluating and reevaluating how I process that. Mm. 
I don't know if that makes sense. I'm it, eh. no, I'm I'm with you. I, it reminds me of something that one of our mentors told us before he passed away. He talked about it a lot, which is you want to live your life like the turtle, hard on the outside, soft on the inside, and be willing to stick your neck out. And that came from uh, the late great Dick Gregory. Uh, so I I really believe in that. And the context of that statement that he made, by the way, was that you get told a lie from a very young age about how vicious and dangerous the world is and that you need to be vicious and dangerous and be a monster too and they, uh, to survive in it. And they teach you that through the story of the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. That, and every, I ask people, what's the first dinosaur you learned about and what age were, were you? And they'll say Tyrannosaurus Rex, age four. That's like 95% of the time. T-Rex, age four. And right. it's like, the first thing they taught you was, and if you're in the South, they taught you about the T-Rex and Jesus. Right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. here's, af- afraid, be afraid. Afraid, be afraid. Be in line. So, but what right. they don't tell you is, is when the Tyrannosaurus Rex was around, so was mm-hmm. the butterfly, and so was the turtle. So the two most docile, peaceful animals to ever exist survived and lived today, and that vicious monster didn't. So the universe has a way of telling you how to live your life and what to do, and it shows right. you examples, but it just doesn't put it in your face, right. especially if you're not looking for it. So, no, I totally get it. I, I thought that was great, and I uh, we've talked a lot about independent filmmakers and and how to advocate for them, but. I'm wondering if you're going to uh, advocate for yourself in the film world at some point. Is there a breed documentary or feature film coming? Have you thought about writing something and filming it and putting out a feature short anything? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> <That's awesome>. Yes. <laughs> All right. So it's so, like, give us the exclusive. What's, uh, what's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> I... I don't know that I could, I, it's even big like, scary to say, I literally said this like three people in my life. Like there's just like a, and there is, um, there, there's a friend of mine in, in Memphis that we had actually, she's, she's, I'm not a writer. If anybody has read my emails, if you've ever received an email from me in your life, you know that I, that is not my, that's not my strong suit. Okay. Um, it can oftentimes take me two hours to write a three sentence email. Um, not a writer. I write how I speak. So that the, how I talk is just like how I write. And people are always like, Bridget, I love it. It's like, it's charming. Cause I can hear you. I was like, that's, that's cause that could be pretty like an, good. It's actually. a backhanded way to like, tell me, like stop. Okay. But okay. You're right. Um, <laughs> but also I'm not being hired for my writing skills. So it's okay. Um, I think that, um, <laughs> Jesus, what? I, I think there's like a couple of things that like I've been milling around about, like they've, obviously, you know, we all have our life experiences, right. And very important ones, good, bad, ugly, traumatic, and otherwise. Um, yeah, I think that there's something to be said for, uh, and especially in the past few months, I have done some writing exercises, like unintentionally, like not realizing that's what I was doing, but, uh, you know, upon reflecting (laughs) hashtag therapy is for everybody. Okay. (laughs) Very important. (laughs) Uh, It's been very crucial for me as a, as a grown person. Um, and kind of doing certain things that like I have pulled out kind of like, almost like these, like what maybe you could ultimately be be, like these little vignettes, but, um, I really do 
filmmakers, new filmmakers out there, like you have no idea how much you inspire us as programmers. Um, and how often that you having your, your story reflected back on you. Like, but like, obviously, yes, like that's, that's <laughs> just like explain film, but no, but like, again, like being a programmer, right. And like how it is that I view and process um, and evaluate a film, like so much, like it's really <clears throat> when I absorb so much content or the amount of content that I do, <clears throat> yeah, you can get really like burn and churn. You can get very like, like, you know, like almost like sterile about it or something like, you know, it's like uh like almost too scientific. And yeah. so there are those films and there are those filmmakers that will literally, because of their, they will stop you in your tracks and you're like, fuck, that's it. This is why like, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, I have not felt this feeling. And this is what I do for work and also what I do for joy and for pleasure. And like, so it's all the time that like, it is easy to get very burnt out. It is easy to lose passion, like go through waves of, I don't know what inspires me anymore about life. And God, like filmmakers, like you guys are like, how that's like kind of been reflected back at me is that again, to your question has had me toying with not, I don't feel like it's like, I've got, I don't want to offend anybody by like trying my hand of being a filmmaker, like leave that to the professionals. Right. Um, but you know, it does like it, what it, filmmakers have taught me or reminded me is that like, again, what I'm putting out there, when I say everybody's story needs to be heard. There's some element of that, that I have to reflect back on myself that like, as I've thought about it in this very specific way, maybe a few people have told like, this is a short film, Bridget. And knowing you, it's probably about seven and a half minutes long. <laughs> I'm like, stop. You guys do listen to me when I'm out there preaching to y'all. Okay, y'all sweet. Y'all sweet. Thank you. You passed. You get an A+. Plus. Um, so, yeah, I, that's kind of like all. And we'll say, like, just I'll make that a little, like, you know, leave it more generally. But, again, thank you to all of you filmmakers out there that after doing this for as many years as I have, and I'm not slowing down anytime soon, I'm doing a long fucking time. I continue to be more and more inspired and it's because of their work and their talent and their voices that I don't think I'm at the most exciting point in my journey. And I've been doing it so long and every year, every year it's like, Oh, this is so exciting. So exciting. But like, it's, it's like the further I get into this and the longer I do it, the more excited I get. And that, that is absolutely a testament to the talent that that's out there. So. Amen to that. And I am, excited i'll keep my ears to the ground for what you do creatively i just know it's going to be awesome because you have the experience to see what a great story is and know what it is i've actually watched a few of your films trying to spend time living in the world of of brie willer watch (laughs) films you've curated watch films you've picked i think you have incredible taste and so i think that will play out in something you create as well and that is definitely not just lip service uh you've been wonderful this is great. been so I, fun. It has been. I, I want people to to do the deep dive on you, do the yes. deep dive on the Atlanta Film Society. So mm-hmm. can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can find you on the mm-hmm. internet, or maybe even get in touch with you? Yes, absolutely. So um, I have also a public so, uh, social profile. So happy to share Twitter and Instagram at Brie Wheeler, B-R-I-W-H-E-E-L-E-R. Um, again, both on Twitter and um, Instagram, Facebook, just my name, Bridget Wheeler. 
Um, I don't think I'm on any other social platform. I am. It's probably not me. Um, I, you can also go to atlantafilmsociety.org, atlantafilmfestival.com. And I can be reached at Bridget at atlantafilmsociety.org. My email is open. Again, please know I'm in a very chaotic time of year. My response time is a lot slower than it normally is. But for any filmmakers out there that have questions, comments, or just want to shoot me a note, whatever it is, my inbox is open. That is public information. Please send me an email. Tell me you loved what I said about, you know, today on this podcast or that you hated it. Like, I love it. You know, come talk to me. Slide, slide into my inbox, guys. I welcome <laughs> it. You have my permission and consent to slide into my inbox. That is so generous. And just for those <laughs> listening out there, her name, her name, Bree's first name is spelled B-R-I-G-H-I-D. So yes. B-R-I-G-H-I-D. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want someone with the other spelling of Bridget to send <sighs> a bunch of emails and they're like, what is going on? Like All the time. No one ever gets my name right the first time. So it's like the very few times people like read my name, they're like, Bridget. And I was like, you want to marry me? <laughs> marry me that that was hot it was super hot thank you my entire brigade brigade i'm like oh come, really <laughs> exactly so uh yeah go to all the socials go to all the websites you can look her up find it. it's going to be great and look we'll, we'll end on this uh there's this wonderful quote grief is living two lives at once and in the spirit of that i thought you'd be the perfect person to ask for words of wisdom to any LGBTQ artists, filmmakers that are concerned, especially here in the South, about putting that in the front row, so to speak, mm-hmm. or coming out in general? You're going to make me cry again. Um, <clears throat> it's again to acknowledge. I feel like I can't say anything without first acknowledging again my experience as an LGBTQ individual has been very positive and very, I mean, and very rare. Um, I believe that because again, I, Oh, you should do this. It's really easy to do that coming from this place of a very significant privilege. So I think that what I can say again, find your tribe right? Find your tribe. And part of your tribe, you can have a professional tribe, know who the queer programmers are. If you want to, you know, coming into film or, you know, being in this world. And, and if you find yourself in an unfortunate and unsafe space, like based on your region, your city and whatever it is, really know who the, those queer people are. Um, there is this, there is something you said, having allies is so important. Um, but shared experiences to validate this, like what you have to silence such a significant part of yourself. Um, just find those people um, because they are there. No matter how weird or queer you are, you have a tribe. Um, and no matter how much, how quiet or silent you feel like you need to be about who you are, um, know there are people out there wanting to see you. That's perfect. And thank you so much for that answer. And and I know you're one of those people too. So for those listening, if you fall into that category, don't go reach out to Bree. She is the best of the best. 
I'm looking forward to seeing you down in April. Hopefully. Yes. I'm pretty certain I'm going to be at this film festival. So please, please, please. It feels like, it feels like a 95% kind of thing, you know. At all. It would be an honor. It would be an honor to host you. So please. We're going to do it. Uh, all right it's a down. date <laughs> it's a date and we had so much to cover i'm sure we can do a round to it sometime in the future as well absolutely and as i was told by many people you're gonna love brie and they were right so thank you so much you, you were thank you so much it was so much fun thank you again anytime take care bye bye you've been listening to the make it podcast to find out more information about this week's topics including links to relevant blog posts projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Banzai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It, and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F L A M E I N U R H E A R T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.